story of Samson continues, Judges chapter 16. Once Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went into her. The Gazites were told Samson has come here, so they circled around and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They kept quiet all night, thinking, let us wait until the light of morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay only until midnight. Then at midnight he rose up, took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Coax him and find out what makes his strength so great and how we may overpower him so that we may bind him in order to subdue him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes your strength so great and how you could be bound so that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that are not dried out, then I will become weak and be like everyone else. Then the lords of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not dried out, and she bound him with them. While the men were lying in wait in an inner chamber, she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of fiber snaps when it is touched to the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you could be bound. He said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men were lying in wait in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you could be bound. He said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and make it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web and made them tight with the pin. Then she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me three times now and have not told me what makes your strength so great. Finally, after she had nagged him with her words, day after day, and pestered him, he was tired to death. So he told her his whole secret and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me. I would become weak and be like anyone else. When Delilah realized that he had told her his whole secret, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, This time come up, for he has told his whole secret to me. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. So she let him fall asleep on her lap, 
And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. He began to weaken, and his strength left him. Then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Interestingly, this is also one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Women play a central role in Samson's story. They are his impetus to fight and his ultimate weakness. Without the women, there would be no story to tell. It all starts with the woman from Timnah, the Philistine whom Samson sees and immediately wants. Um, sweetie, his parents reason with him. Couldn't you find a nice girl from around here? And you can hear his mother's subtext, though she doesn't say it. You know, maybe you could find a woman who's not a Philistine, the people who oppress us, from whom you are supposed to be delivering us from bondage. But Samson is not budging. Get her for me. Samson, as you can tell, was a real class act guy. Actually, he sounds a bit like a caveman to me. Me like, me want. And then when his parents try to persuade him otherwise, he only grunts louder. The narrator clearly portrays Samson as this brute, which is why the parenthetical statement in verse 4, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, sounds like an editorial note that was added later. It's as if somewhere along the way in the retelling of Samson's story, someone sort of cringed at Samson's insistence on having a Philistine woman and felt the need to explain Samson's brutish behavior and attribute it to God's plan. Now, whoever added that comment about Samson's interest in the woman being from the Lord really isn't doing Samson or the Lord any favors. Apparently, Samson needed a, re a reason for revenge against the Philistines. Strange, isn't it? Since all the other judges of Israel went to battle because their people were oppressed. But the oppression of his people isn't enough for Samson. It takes a personal grudge to get him going. He is a self-absorbed man who only ever fights the Philistines when they piss him off personally. God couldn't just call him as God calls other judges and servants. God had to manipulate a scenario so as to incite Samson's jealousy and rage. If that's really what it took to deliver God's people, then even God appears to be low on options. Now, interestingly, most of this story unfolds without much involvement from God and without much commentary. We are not told if God approved of Samson or disapproved. As readers, we are mostly left to make those decisions for ourselves. So what do you think? Was Samson a hero or an anti-hero or worse? We've already read chapter 14, how Samson married the woman from Timnah, 
how he tells a riddle to his guests and makes a bet that they cannot solve it, how the guests secure his new wife's help by threatening to burn her father's house if she doesn't help them. What a happy wedding. And how she begs Samson until he tells her the answer to the riddle. Then when the wedding guests answer Samson's riddle, like the gracious host and chivalrous husband that he is, Samson pouts, if you had not plowed with my heifer, then you would not have solved my riddle. Then he kills 30 men, leaves his wife, and returns home to his parents. What do you think? Hero? The story continues in chapter 15. After some time, Samson actually visits his wife. But remember, she's already been given in marriage to Samson's best man. Samson shows up all this time later after deserting her and expects her to be waiting for him. He says to her father, and this is a direct quote from the Bible, I want to go into my wife's room. And the father is like, uh, sorry. I thought you had rejected her, so I gave her to your companion. But you can have her sister, she's even prettier. I'm hoping a father only responds like that when he is afraid. Samson replies, this time when I do mischief to the Philistines, I will be without blame. Which gives us some additional insight into Samson's personal ethic. And so he catches 300 foxes, like you do when you're mad. <laughs> and he ties them tail to tail with burning torches and sets them loose in the fields of the, of the Philistines. And how do you think the Philistines respond to that? Well, they find Samson's wife, take her and her father, and burn them both. You may remember it was the threat of the Philistines burning her father's house that got her to help them and betray Samson in the first place. But her previous aid means nothing to them now, and without hesitation, they burn her very body and her father's. What has she ever done to them but obey them? It was following their demands that led to Samson leaving her. The only time in the story she takes action is to help them and save her father's house. After that, she is acted upon. She is left by her husband. She is given to a new husband. She is burned. She is a passive object of male impulse. The one time she takes action, it is to do as they tell her, and for what reward? When they threatened her, she became a woman trapped between loyalty to her father and loyalty to her new husband, but could either choice keep her safe? Even when she takes action, she is not in any sense free. She is bound on every side by persons more powerful than she. And if she is merely God's tool to incite anger in Samson, then God is just one more character who uses her and harms her. And that God is no different from the Philistines who burn her. And that God is hardly worthy of our worship. What we attribute to God's will says a lot about who we believe God to be. Thus, whether we understand Samson as God's gift to the Israelites or an out-of-control killer is an important theological choice. It's worth noting that eventually Samson's own people willingly turn him over to the Philistines. 
They are not grateful to him. They are afraid of the mess he has started. Samson actually agrees to go, but once they turn him over, he goes on a rampage, killing 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Hero or anti-hero? Also, a thousand men with a jawbone? No other character in the Bible exhibits the same raw physical strength as Samson, but physical strength doesn't equal divine favor. Just think of Goliath. Samson is like a Goliath on the Israelite side, and no man can take him down. He does eventually go down, not because men, a man beats him, but because a woman outwits him. Of course, this is not surprising. We already know Samson isn't so hard to outwit. He's the classic example of brawn without brain. And we already know women are his weakness. The Philistines know this too, and they try to use it to their advantage. First, they try to attack Samson when he visits a prostitute, but that doesn't end up working. So they wait for him to fall in love, this time with Delilah. If she will help them capture Samson, they promise her 1,100 pieces of silver. I'm not sure how long that kind of money would last, but it's a lot more than the 30 pieces Judas got. Delilah agrees to the plan, and she tries to coax Samson into telling her the secret of his strength. The first three times, he lies to her. How does she know he's lying? Because every time he gives her an answer, she tries it out on him, and then hollers to wake him up, the Philistines are upon you, and every time he jumps up strong as ever. Now how Samson didn't piece it together, that she was trying to rid him of his strength, I do not know. But finally, on the fourth try, he gives in and tells Delilah the truth. She chops off his hair while he is sleeping and the Philistines capture him. Now you may know this is not how Samson's story ends. While he is in prison, his hair grows back and so does his strength. In the end, he manages to take down an entire building right on top of the Philistines' heads. He dies in the act, but so do thousands of his enemies. Hero or anti-hero? It is worth noting that even though we have five chapters left in the book of Judges, Samson is the very last judge in the book. Throughout the book, we see a steady decline in the people's fidelity to Yahweh, such that by the end of the book, things are as bad as can be imagined. And the narrator will report... Quote, in those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. It seems that Samson is the beginning of the end. Even as judge and leader of Israel, he only does what is right in his own eyes. And with mixed, mostly terrible results. Whether he is the last judge because no one will take up the mantle after him, or because the people don't want a judge after living under Samson, we cannot know. All we know is that he is the last judge, and after him, things go further downhill. And what about the women in Samson's life? We've already mentioned there is a decline in the treatment of women in the book of Judges. And the women Samson encounters are certainly no exception. His first wife, whose name we do not even know, is more of a pawn in Samson's feud than a person, and she meets a tragic end. The second woman is a prostitute who barely gets a mention. 
Then we arrive at Delilah, whose role is more ambiguous. She is the only woman in the latter half of Judges we know by name. She's often portrayed as a seductress and betrayer. But as one commentator points out, if this story were told from the point of view of the Philistines, Delilah would have been a hero who used what power she had to take down a bully. And even if we don't view her from the Philistine point of view, you have to admit she was very persistent and resourceful. Unlike Samson's wife, she will not end up a casualty of the Samson-Philistine feud. Instead, she walks away with a significant sum of cash, maybe even a shot at financial independence. I'm not suggesting that successful businesswoman equals virtuous woman, but it is worth noticing that she refuses to be a victim. We know that Samson loved her, but the story never says whether Delilah loved Samson. We can make some guesses based on prior behavior how Samson might have treated her, and it probably wasn't with dignity. So I'm not sure it's fair to expect loyalty out of Delilah. If she knew the fate of Samson's first wife, she has a reason to be scared and a reason to be cunning. For all we know, the Philistines' offer was not just about the money. It might have been her ticket to safety. I'm speculating, of course, but the point is that Delilah's character is complicated, and we cannot properly understand her without understanding the dynamics of power that limited her choices. She was a woman who used the weapons at her disposal to gain the upper hand. Through cunning and bravery, she helped to stop a man on a destructive path with no self-control. Once again, the narrator doesn't tell us what to think of Delilah. As readers, we are left to make our own judgments. Many feminist critics have noted that while the poison of patriarchy runs throughout the book of Judges, it's not as if the book condones it. In fact, the greater the patriarchal oppression, the worse the people fare. As the book progresses, so does the depravity. Increasingly, women are victimized and forced to make tough choices. Men are ineffectual, physically strong perhaps, but morally and intellectually weak. Long gone are the days of Deborah and Barak, partners in battle and in song. Speaking of the women in Samson's life, you have to wonder what Samson's mother thought about all of this. Did she mourn how her promise from God turned out? Her son, the deliverer, who turned out to be so flawed, so rash, so self-absorbed, did she rejoice over the Philistines who died? Or did she cringe at her son's lust for revenge? Surely his death was not how she spent her years picturing his victory. Surely this is not what she had prayed for him, hoped for him, dreamed for him. Surely this is not what God had hoped for either. But alas, even a child dedicated to God from birth grows up to have free will and a mind of their own. Perhaps this is why, eventually, God stopped sending judges and kings and simply sent God's self not as a warrior to defend the people, but as a lowly carpenter who would suffer with and for the people. 
God in Christ would approach violence so differently than Samson. So differently than all the Israelite kings. God in Christ would play by a different set of rules and a different understanding of power. God in Christ would seek to liberate not just his people, but all people. God in Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. God in Christ did not seek revenge, but restoration. God in Christ shattered the rules of patriarchy and formed instead a new order where all people are equal, all people are invited to the table, all people are worthy of freedom. Samson, thanks be to God, is not the end of our story. Our story ends with a cross and an empty tomb and the women who find it and tell about it. Thanks be to God, whom we see and know most clearly in the person of Christ. Amen.